there. I'm Stacey Lindsay. I'm a journalist and I'm one of the hosts of the Scarlet Society podcast. On today's show, I talk with Amina Altai. Amina is a sought-after career and leadership coach. She works with entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to help them find alignment, fulfillment, and happiness at work. Amina combines her experience in brand building and marketing with training in nutrition, fitness, and mindfulness. She's based in New York City, but she offers virtual coaching sessions as well as digital coaches, digital courses, and a guided practice journal. Amina and I cover fear, what gets in our way, how to navigate it, and then we learn how to lean into your purpose and what she calls the exceptional. Amina has helped me crack open some major, major hurdles. I think she'll help you too. So let's get into it with Amina Altai. You're listening to the Scarlet Society Podcast, the show that encourages women over 40 to be excited, curious, and even turned on by starting the second half of their life. This is the show for support, community, and conversation about everything that goes along with this season, from sexual health and wellness to sexual exploration, finances, monogamy, and relationships. No topic is off limits. Let's dive in. Amna, it's so good to see you today. It's always so good to see you, but every time feels like the first time or the second time that I'm seeing you. I get so freaking excited. (laughs) I know. I feel the same way. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, it's so funny. You were talking about feeling giddy coming onto this call. I feel the same way. It's just so wonderful to be in your presence always. Thanks for doing this with us. And yeah, let's dive in. There's so much that we can talk about. Um, today, I really want to home in on fear because I'm hoping this will be one of many conversations for the Scarlet Society community. You know, you work with, you have worked with countless women um, in your coaching work. And I think and you've worked with me as well and helping people really notice their fears, seeing what's blocking them and really navigating that to then help them get to the next step just toward their excellence and ultimately they're exceptional. So I want to see though, kind of give me the temperature right now, Amna. What are you seeing in terms of fear? When I say fears too, really specifically fears around people leaning into their purpose, particularly in career and kind of their holistic lives. What are you seeing right now? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty consistent. There's always a theme in my practice where people know that they want to do something bigger, know that they're called to do something bigger, but there's the fear of putting themselves in the center of it, of who am I to do this thing? Who am I to claim this work? Who am I to show up in this way? I see it over and over again. And I think some of those fears are kind of compounded by the moment that we're in of, you know, things might feel a little bit more uncertain or they're changing a little faster than we're used to. And it's kind of compounding those feelings of fear. But you know, the fact that you have that motivation inside of you and the fact that you know that you're called to do more, that's an indication, right? And fears, of course, all feelings are valid, but it's not always the truth, right? I think we've all seen that acronym floating around the internet that's fear stands for false evidence appearing as real sometimes. So when it comes to our fears, we want to be in loving conversation with them and asking ourselves, is this really true? And if this is true, how can we fear sort to mitigate, you know, that piece happening? And how can we kind of uh, buffer so that we don't have the worst possible outcome? We can always plan for that. And then if it is false evidence appearing as real and it's not the truth, that's a really wonderful freeing thing. And we can reframe to create a more supportive thought that is going to support us in terms of stepping into that purpose and into that juicy life's work. So ultimately, there's a lot of information to get from fear. I mean, there's a silver lining, I think, in so many things in life, but there's information that we can glean from it. And you just said something interesting, fear sort. So I've never heard that before. 
Um, but can you help us, okay, for somebody who's leaning into this and really wants to start facing it and they have these fears, can you kind of give us some tips? Because you just touched upon some of them right now, but how can we start to quote unquote fear sort? How can we start to realize, is this true? Is this not true? You know, and take the next steps from there. Yeah. So first and foremost, I'd invite you to make a list. What is the voice of fear saying right now? I'm afraid of stepping into my bigness. I'm afraid that I'm going to get called out for doing this thing, or I'm afraid to put myself in the center of something. I'm afraid it's not going to work out. So give yourself permission and space to make a full list of the fears, really have at it, just, you know, pour it all onto the page. And then I invite you to go back through and identify three things. Is it there's there a low chance of it happening, like low to no chance of it happening, medium chance of it happening, high chance of it happening. And if there's no chance of it happening, we love it and we cross it off the list. If there's a medium chance of it happening, we look at, okay, well, what do I need to do to offset that happening? If there's a high chance of that happening, what do I need to do to soften that fear, to soften the outcome? Um, and then we basically kind of take the sting out of it because we start to have a practical plan and some practical steps for how we can negotiate and navigate those fears versus putting blinders onto them because the things that we put blinders onto only become amplified. So we start to actually have a sequential process for moving through them and loving them, right? They are information. They're here. The contrast helps us refine the vision. So feeling the fear helps us refine the vision. It's, is it safe to say though, because the women that you work with are these high functioning and super successful women. Um, I'm in awe of the, the women that you've helped and coached. But is it You're safe to say, thank you. <laughs> is it safe to say that fear is ubiquitous though? Do you see, does this, I mean, am I, you know, I know I'm not the only one who's felt fear, but is this something that you see often? It is a through line. Yeah. I think this is one of the most beautiful pieces of my job is like getting to work. I've worked with, you know, brand new founders to fortune 500 execs to, you know, celebrities. And I think it's the most humanizing role to be in because I get to see, wow, we all have these threads. We all have this connective tissue and we all have fears. It doesn't matter what we've achieved in our lives. There's something comes up for each of us. And that for every new level of becoming every level we rise to, there's often kind of the same fears in a slightly different outfit, maybe like even me and my work too, you know, as my business grows and I step into a new threshold, you know, oftentimes those fears come up again. Maybe it's imposter syndrome and feelings of not good enough and they come in in a slightly different way, but we're all navigating these together. And I think it's uh, so humanizing to know that we're in it together. And I want to talk about that for a second too, if we can, that imposter syndrome and that not, that feeling of not being good enough, that worthiness, because that is something that I have so struggled with. And it's interesting as I've gotten older, in some ways it's gotten easier. In some ways it's gotten harder for me. You know, am I worthy of not having these fears? Am I worthy of really leaning into what's feeling great for me? Um, so yeah, talk to me a little bit about that, about that imposter syndrome and that worthiness, if you will. Yeah. I'm not sure if you saw those series of HBR articles, but they were basically talking about how imposter syndrome like isn't the the right label. And I love that too, because I've always kind of felt that language was a bit tenuous, but basically they talk about how by labeling it a syndrome, we basically pathologize a perfectly normal set of behaviors. Basically going back to your earlier point that we all feel fear. We all question our worthiness, depending on the spaces that we're in. And women and marginalized and underrepresented leaders tend to feel that imposter syndrome more so than others because we haven't seen ourselves in certain positions. So the original body of work on imposter syndrome came from the 1970s and they were studying female PhD students. And these female PhD students were questioning their abilities because they looked around the room and all they saw was men. And so they thought to themselves, I don't see anybody that looks like me here. Maybe I don't belong here. 
And I think that that happens to so many of us. We look around a space and we think, hmm, I'm the only woman or I'm the only brown woman or I'm the only person with disability and perhaps I don't belong in this space. But it, I think a lot of it has to do with these spaces not designed inclusively versus something wrong with us, which is where I really love and see the conversation around imposter syndrome flipping. I absolutely love that. And that is such a critical, critical conversation to have. And I feel like that's a conversation is, is widening these days for sure. But you're right. It's the system the system and we're breaking that. And that's why your work is so important too. It's, there is nothing wrong with us. The system is antiquated. It's totally draconian. It's harsh. It's paternalistic. It's infantilizing. It's so many things. And ultimately it's not inclusive. And yes, thank you for saying that. Yes, Stacy. <laughs> I get so, I get so excited. I love your soundbite. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but it really so fires me up and I'm so, oh, and it's brilliant. It's brilliant because again, a critical part of this conversation, it's not anything wrong with me. It's not anything wrong with you. It's not anything wrong with that woman that you're talking about, you know, giving a hypothetical, that incredibly brilliant, bright black woman in the room filled with white men. And she's thinking, what's wrong with me? Nothing. Oh, it's huge. Right. Gosh, yeah, thank you for bringing yeah. up that critical part. And oh, I love seeing your passion. <laughs> we've talked about so this good. so much too. So it just it revs me up. And we've all, you know, seen this play itself out in various contexts. And so it, doing this work is that's why it's so important what you do. I want to shift this, like start talking about not shift it, but evolve the conversation. Start talking about maybe some mindset reframes um, and really home in on one model that you work around that you've created that is so interesting, the three E's model. And that you talk about the, I have my notes here because I want to make sure the uh, the excellent, the exceptional. Okay, that's the yeah. three E's model. First, kind of give us an overview of what that is. Yes. So this is a riff on Gay Hendricks model that he shares about in The Big Leap. And so I didn't love the language around that. So I basically made it my own. So the three E's, I believe that we operate in three zones, the E, the space that we're average at, the excellent, which is the space that we are practiced, polished and really proficient, and then the exceptional. And that's where our innate abilities lie. And we all operate inside of these three zones. And when it comes to stepping into the great work of our lives, we want to be able to anchor ourselves as much in the exceptional abilities as we possibly can. Now, of course, that's a form of privilege and we can't all throw away all these other areas and just live there every single day, but we wanna basically take one step towards them every single day. Because what happens when we do is what we contribute in that space is so expansive. Because let's say, for example, we're operating in our zone of excellence, which happens for most of us in our day jobs, right? We go to school for a certain thing, we clock our 10,000 hours there, and we just kind of stay in the excellence zone. And it's a great place to be, right? But we end up using so much energy and so much mind share to continue to be excellent in that zone that oftentimes we burn out, you know, we start to feel it physically, emotionally, spiritually. And shifting into that zone, that exceptional zone, we use far less energy, far less mind share because our contribution is innate. It's just kind of flowing and pouring through us versus something that we have to make ourselves amazing at. It's incredible. I want to say because of the work I've done with you primarily. Um, and I think that I'm just finding my footing, I guess now, finally, I, I'm 40 this year and I'm starting to feel that exceptional vibe. I'm starting to actually live it. And again, I've done the work and it sometimes it just takes time too. It takes belief, it takes all of that. And every single thing you say, I am anecdotally can back that up because it is, I've just started to lean into those 
things that just are my innate talents, I guess, or just what I feel like is my purpose here on earth. And I expend so much less energy. And at the end of the day, when I'm tired, I feel fulfilled. I feel fulfilled. I feel empowered. I don't have this sort of depleted, kind of exhausted, sitting under the neon lights feeling all day. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's different. Yes. And I actually was chatting. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, please. I was chatting with somebody before this and we were talking about this exactly. And she was like, well, how do you have energy to do the things that you love? And I was like, well, what happens when we're in that excellent zone is we're using energies that we sometimes don't have to try and push and force to make ourselves excellent versus the exceptional is just flowing through us. We don't have to push or force. It's, it's literally your gift that you came here to share. So for those listening, can you help us acknowledge what that might be, the exceptional, because I think it can be really hard. I can speak for myself, honestly, only speak for myself, but I know that there have been things, and I'm very grateful to be able to say this, that I have been, quote unquote, sort of in the excellent zone, I guess you can say. I know that, eh, I know that, I know that really well, but identifying kind of the excellent versus the exceptional was a little tricky for me for a little while. And I imagine it can be for a lot of really high functioning women. So how can you start to identify that? Yeah. So it is tricky because the excellent zone, which we tend to operate in a lot when we're inside of others' organizations, Mm -hmm. we get a lot of kudos for that thing because us showing up in our excellent abilities supports somebody else showing up in their exceptional abilities, usually the founder or what have you. So oftentimes, like we get all this kudos and this reflection that we're doing an amazing job and that this is wonderful and this is a beautiful contribution. So it can kind of conflate the two. But a lot of it is feeling like how, you know, does it take a lot for you to contribute that thing? Does it bring you joy? Do you feel like you're in the space of flow? Do you feel like you could contribute in an ongoing fashion in that space? Because one of the things that I think is really important is that when we are designing our work, we set it up in a way that we can be in it for a lifetime and not just a season. Because when we're operating in that exceptional zone, we tend to burn ourselves out because it's not sustainable or reciprocal enough. Whereas in our exceptional abilities, we tend to find ourselves in that space of flow. And so, you know, if you're kind of sort of trying to decipher between these two areas, it's always helpful to ask a friend that sees you fully. Not everybody sees you fully, so be careful who you ask. But if there's a friend that could reflect back to you, you know, what you uniquely bring into a space that wasn't there before you arrived what you bring into a room, what you bring into a friendship, what you bring into a space. Um, It doesn't always have to be a hard skill. Oftentimes it's something like, you know, I have a a client who one of the things I reflected back to them and I was like, I think that one of your exceptional abilities is that you are so grounded. Like I've never met somebody so unflappable. And they were like, that's a gift. And I was like, oh, you bet that's a gift. (laughs) And so it might be something that you're not thinking of because it doesn't always have to be a quote unquote hard skill. That's incredible. That's really incredible. I never thought about that because that, and you've, you've helped me with that again, going back to the work that we've done. You've noticed things that I thought, what? And because I think I've never noticed that in myself or also just we're kind of nose to the ground, working so hard, trying to get it done. And it's so interesting what you say too. I love that because this happens, echoing what you said, when we're working for someone else too, which can be a wonderful thing sometimes, but we tend to put ourselves in the back burner. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, we're stepping into our excellence so then we're moving forward. Somebody else is exceptional. Um, that's, that's incredible, right? To notice that, but okay. And then the other one, I remember one time you and I were having a conversation too, and you brought me back to when I was younger. I kind of started looking at some of the things I was passionate about when I was younger too. There was this cool meditative experience we had, but is that helpful sometimes that somebody, somebody can do that? Maybe if they're sitting and they want to sort of lean into 
and looking into stepping into their exceptional. Um, looking back when you're younger and thinking about your passions or what you were interested in, is that a good exercise? I'm so happy that you brought that up because yes, right? So what happens for most of us is like we're shaped in our formative years, which is anywhere from you know two to 20, depending on who you're speaking to. And we tend to take the shape of our cultural, familial, societal programming. So the things that we might've innately been good at maybe weren't valued or rewarded in our family system. So we buried them. That happens for a lot of us. So when it comes to reclaiming these areas, journeying back to childhood can be such a supportive place. So you and I did what I call a true nature meditation. So we basically journeyed back to different points in childhood, looking at how you might have been showing up in particular contexts. Maybe it was like your first interaction with a friend or your first time at school or, you know, just on the playground and just noticing the qualities that were innate for you before people told you to turn it down or water it down. That meditation brings up a lot of tears for a lot of folks because they're like, oh my God, I forgot that I was just like this, you know, joyful, expressive, amazing little human. Right. I mean, for anyone listening to it, it can be a profound exercise just to look at old photos of yourself when you're younger and you see the sparkle in your eye or you see, oh my gosh, I used to love to play this or I was the sassy one on the ring. Whatever it might be, it can bring up a lot. It can be hard too. It can definitely be hard, but I think ultimately hard in a really beautiful way. But I got a lot out of that exercise with you. <laughs> it, was, it was tremendous. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that you brought that back in. So stepping forward, you know, kind of at Scarlet Society, we talk so much about reclaiming this the second half of your life. This is really you know, looking at it. We feel that I, you know, I believe in this too, but age is just a number, of course. You know, what is age? It's this arbitrary mm-hmm. idea. Um, but we really are focused on talking with women and providing information for women who are 40 plus. We believe it gets better. Sex can get better. Love can get better. Your relationship to yourself can get better. Your job can get better. Is there anything specific in your work that you're seeing that can help for women listening who may be turning 40, 45, 50, 55, 60 um, in regard to thinking, okay, is it just going to go downhill from here or can it get a lot better? You know, is age a barrier or is age something that we can just break through and things can get better? Yeah, I love that question. I get a lot of people that come to me around quote unquote second acts. So maybe they sort of climbed the first mountain in their career and they look around and they realize there's no joy or freedom there and they're ready to claim something that is the fullness of them. Like I want to play all out and just be the meest me and stand in my exceptional zone. And that's what I want to do for this, you know, next iteration of my career. Um, but I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday and we were, they were, they brought up ageism and they were like, I'm in this group and you know, somebody keeps bringing up that, you know, after this certain point, it just feels like we're being pushed out because of our age. And I think that in some places that conversation is real and true. And in some spaces that is a thing, but I don't believe that it has to be our reality. And I do believe that we're shifting into a moment where we are more empowered and we can design our own careers. And, you know, we see so many women stepping into entrepreneurship because of the pandemic. And I think there are ways to have more sovereignty um, and be more empowered inside the work. And I think it can my career has only gotten better and I'm so grateful that it has. I mean, there was a lot of mess in the twenties, you know, a lot of hard won lessons, but every year it's gotten better. And for so many of the women that I work with too, because I think that we are more ourselves and we feel like we have more permission and the world around us is changing too. And all of those things are beautiful things. Would you be willing to share a little bit about your story, Amina? Cause it's really fascinating. And you were on this fast track. You were highly successful, you know, from the outside, anybody would say, whoa, she, because you did, you had it going on. You were doing, had an incredibly successful career in marketing, but big time stuff happened with your health, with all of that. Will you, will you dig into that a little bit for us? 
Yeah. So when I was in my 20s, I, my first job was at Cartier and it was a wonderful experience. And then very quickly, I realized that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I co-founded a marketing agency and I wanted to work with emerging female entrepreneurs. And I did it for about seven years. But And this is kind of the genesis of my work. I carried all of my programming into the workplace. I was boundaryless and deeply codependent. And I took care of everybody before I took care of myself, from my clients to my employees to my business partner. And I took a big hit for it. And eventually I burned out and I developed two autoimmune diseases. And the way that I found out was actually in somewhat of a dramatic fashion. So I was driving to a client on a Friday and I got a call from my doctor and she told me that because of my two autoimmune conditions that I didn't really know about that were mismanaged because I wasn't aware because I was not listening to my body, that I was days away from multiple organ failure. And so it was this stop moment where I just had to literally, you can't go any further, right? You have to stop what you're doing because there is, there's no further after this point. So I had to really look at how I was showing up. I had to look at my relationship to success and ambition and uh, all the codependency, which you and I have talked about so much. You know, uh, I think it's such a big thing in the context of our work and basically decided that I needed to leave my agency because it was not a healthy place for me and then went on to uh, change my career a few times, which got me here. And it's been the most amazing journey, a very circular one, definitely not linear, but um, our body speaks and, and you know, I think it's really important that we listen because otherwise we're going to take a hit like I did. And it goes back to when we were talking about the three E's model, of course, you know, exceptional, there is a layer of privilege around that to be able to function, you know, in this exceptional. We have to understand that sometimes circumstances don't allow some people to do that or to do that at this certain time or whatnot. That's why we need to break the system. That's why we need to support each other more, all of that. Uh, but there is an argument that goes with when we're not leaning into the exceptional, um, especially too, if we're only living in the, in the, uh, but even in the excellence, we're exerting this energy and ultimately it can be a driver toward disease. It can be, and of course I'm not a doctor, but I'm saying this can be a driver toward health implications. Um, and I think it's a health, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an epidemic. I think a lot of times because ultimately burnout is an epidemic and you're an example yes. of that. I saw this quote recently that, that you know, uh, basically overworking is the smoking of our generation. And I was like, that is so true and impacting us in exactly the same ways. And, you know, I, I um, you know, around the autoimmune diagnosis, I feel, you know, two ways about it, because sometimes people will be like, oh, autoimmune, it's the body attacking itself, self-inflicted. And of course, like I was just genetically predisposed, but there was so much stress that was happening around that that had me express that. Um, and I think that the the lesson here is really like, how can we, you know, manage the stress and as much as we possibly can transition into those zones that feel like a place where we can really contribute and a place that we feel whole in too. Right. So as we, as we wrap up, um, kind of a two-pronged question, one of my last for you is starting today, how can we, what is, what is one or, what are one or two ways that we can start to really show up for ourselves to start to do this work. And I know you went through some of these mindset shifts um, and you said to make a list, but to reiterate, what are two things we can start doing for ourselves to kind of lean into our purpose more and to lean into toward that path toward the exceptional. And then also what are two things that we can do for our fellow women and fellow people that we want to help really support? Because sometimes, I mean, it always takes a village, but again, we really need to be there for each other. Yeah, that's such a beautiful question. So two things that we can do today. 
got two ideas for you. One is toleration. So tolerations are things that we are tolerating in our lives that do not serve us. And we all have a bag of tolerations that we are just dragging around because we think that we have to. You know, when I sat down a couple of years ago to make my list of tolerations, it was everything from, you know, tolerating not being supported enough to tolerating not making enough money to tolerating being tired and unwell. So what are the things that you're tolerating in your life that you need not be tolerating? And then can you make a plan to shift at least one or two of those tolerations this week? So that's assignment number one. And then the second piece is how can you go towards what charms you? In Vedic philosophy, they say go towards what charms you. And I think this has been one of the juiciest parts of my life and my career evolution is going towards those places that feel warm, that feel joyful, that feel like they're going to fill you up versus deplete you. So I think that that's, those are, those are my two big pieces for you. So in terms of helping others, I think it's really important that we are shoulders for others to stand on. And so if there are people in your space that are wanting to do what you're doing and they don't know how to get started, be that helping hand, be that person that opens the door for them, that makes the introduction, that shows them the way. Maybe there's one thing that you learned and you want to soften the learning curve for somebody else. Teach that one thing because that will change somebody's life. That will change somebody's experience. And then I think advocacy. Advocacy, yes. Yes. Advocacy. Yeah, I think yeah. that we all need to speak out on these topics. And I think that, you know, being silent about them makes us complicit. And I think the more that we shed light on this, the more that we're going to shift things. So obviously opening the doors for others and then using our platforms, using our voices if we have them. Gosh, thank you so much for this. And that's why I got so, wor- I mean, worked up in a great way earlier in our conversation, because now I finally feel like I'm firmly on the ground and I want to be standing on a rooftop because I don't want to I don't want to tolerate it anymore. I don't, I don't want to be in the system myself. I'm, I'm not letting that happen, but I don't want to see any other person crumbling under the system as well, particularly women, female identifying people. I, no way. You know, we are working too hard. We're too brilliant. We have too much to give. And when we're unleashed, I mean, that's what really makes this great change. And we're unleashed and allowed, not allowed to, but we allow ourselves to live in the exceptional. Incredible things happen. That gets me so excited. Exactly. Me too. And doing what we love is our birthright. And somebody somewhere along the way told us that it wasn't and designed a system that excluded us, but it is our birthright. And we're in a moment of reclamation. And so uh, I hope that plants a a seed of hope in your heart. So tell me a little bit too um, about your work right now, Amina, if you will. I know you do a lot of one-on-one coaching that you've worked with. You work with a lot of organizations and companies. I know you have some retreats and you have workshops online. How can people access all the good juicy stuff that you offer? Thank you so much. So everything is on my website, AminaAltai.com. The spelling will be in the show notes. And um, so honestly, my favorite work in the whole wide world is the one-on-one coaching because it's just so intimate. You get to see this beautiful transformation. That's always where my heart is. So you can learn more about that on my website. I'm also offering a three-day retreat in August. Um, It's basically called Your Next Level Now Retreat. And it's basically how do you birth your next level, but also in a space where you are nurtured and supported and taken care of. So it's going to be in a luxurious space. And we have a private Ayurvedic chef and just like nurturing your next level versus forcing or pushing it. So I'm very excited about that. Um, And as you know, Stacey, I'm also working on a book. It's, you know, it's a long process. We're at the beginning of the process, but it, it will be coming eventually. Well, you know what I say, though, you you don't realize it, but you're already working on your third book because your first book, I mean, the world is just (laughs) waiting. It's already in existence. You have your second one, your third one. I can see it. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait for that. You're so kind. You're so kind. I hope so. Your lips to God's ears. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to do all the exercises that we talked about today, and I'm going to definitely be in allyship with those around me as well. Um, That's a big learning. That's a big Mm -hmm. takeaway from this conversation because I feel 
very, very, very honored to have this knowledge, to glean even more knowledge from you today and to know that it's just, again, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you listening. There's nothing wrong with you, Amna. It's the system and that we are all worthy to step into our exceptional. And again, and going back to the fears too, it's just part of, it's part of the process, right? It's a beautiful thing, but we can navigate them. We can learn from them. We can grow. And there's just so much good stuff ahead. Amna, thank you so much. So beautifully put. Thank you so much for having me. You're incredible. And thank you all for listening. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. I hope you loved my conversation with Amina. You can learn more about Amina at scarletsociety.com. The Scarlet Society podcast is a show that encourages women over 40 to be excited, curious, and turned on by starting the second half of their lives. That's you. That's me. That's so many of us. So let's get talking from sexual health, wellness, and exploration to finances, relationships, and reinvention. No topic is off limits here. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Your support means so much to us, and I hope you got some great value from today's episode. If you're looking for resources from today's show, or you'd like to join other women just like you, looking to explore their sexual health and wellness, visit us over at scarletsociety.com.